Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today we have Nick Rule, who is the athletic director at William Penn University. Under his leadership, William Penn has become one of the top programs in the country, and in this episode, you will see why. Nick has a great story, and the principles he talks about will definitely shape and improve your own life, leadership, and legacy. He talks about growing up in Idaho, leaving to go play college athletics at William Penn, uh, basically sight unseen, making wise decisions and trusting your intuition, always being curious and adopting a constant explorer mentality, leading through crisis, and much, much more. I really love uh, getting a chance to sit down and talk with Nick. I love his thoughts on being an explorer. It really is so true and so powerful if you really think about it. He's such a genuine leader and a truly genuine and authentic person. I'm really excited to share this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Everybody, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Nick Rule, who is the athletic director at William Penn University. Nick, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, Bailey, happy to be here, my man. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. It's an honor to be with you. Yeah, well, if you wouldn't mind, let's let's dive right into your story and, and give us some um, detail into your upbringing and what life was like growing up for you. Yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Um, you know, it was a great place to grow up. I, um, very everyone was a lot very the same though i mean you had a lot a lot of the same people you know a lot of the same mentality a lot of the you know basically one religion basically dominates the area and so i grew up kind of in a little bit of a bubble to be honest with you um i call it the i-15 bubble um you know from utah to idaho and um but i had great parents um you know that challenged me and pushed me um but I was in this bubble and, uh, and loved every second of it, you know, normal middle-class family. And, um, but my, my dad, when you get when you grow up in kind of a bubble in a sense, you can kind of not necessarily, um, be exposed to what it takes just to be successful in the world. And mm. uh, my dad was always really good about challenging me. Um, and, uh, you know, from the very, very start when I was just a little kid, I'm the oldest in my family. He, you know, the sport was always a big part of my life. And, um, but he was always challenging me in different ways to be the best that I could be. And that was really ingrained from my earliest memories, just him pushing me. And, um, and, and so, you know, I was, I was fortunate to just grow up in a great family and, um, um, you know, privileged in a sense and, you know, had, had great grandparents that just loved me. And, and I learned a lot growing up about what love looks like, um, and, and what leadership looks like, uh, and uh, and so I was just a fortunate. I was a fortunate young, young person growing up in that era. But also, I grew up in an area an area where um, you you just it was it was not what the world looks like in a sense. And so, um, as I evolved through through my life, I, I would go back to the moments of the things that my dad taught me. Just to that he was intentionally preparing me for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those leadership principles. Uh, really pivot you you're in a, a good spot to actually deploy those for sure absolutely well, yeah going back to your upbringing you said sports were involved uh, important to you and also your dad was was good at challenging you and pushing you to be, be your best right yeah and so what did that look like from an athletic standpoint did he was he a player himself growing up or was yeah it something so, that you took took to at a young well, age 
it came from a you know pretty um, athletically minded family. My grandpa, my mom's side, played uh, you know minor league baseball, you know AAA baseball for ten years in the Pirates organization. And you know, my grandma was a PE teacher on my mom's side. My my grandpa uh, Rule was a just a huge San Francisco Giants, you know San Francisco sports fan, and you know and and he had been involved in athletics. And he got my dad involved. My dad was pretty athletic, and he was a pitcher, played baseball, and blew out his arm. Um, and so you know, he, he kind of, he didn't go through college or anything like that. Had didn't graduate college or anything like that. And, um, but you know, he always used sport as a way to teach me life lessons. And, um, you know, one of the things that really, I always remember growing up, I played ice hockey and, um, and my dad was always talking about effort and consistency, um, and doing the little things, being a good leader, you know, uh, you know, talking to your teammates, leading your teammates, leading by example. And, and I remember we were coming home from Sun Valley, Idaho one day. And, uh, you know, I thought I was a pretty big time, big timer. I had scored a, a hat trick in, in the game and um, we're, we're in, we're in our Ford Explorer going back and, and my dad's super quiet. It was just him and I, I was in the backseat, he was in the front. And I was just kind of like begging for a compliment in a sense. And I was just like, Hey, you know, what'd you think about my game, dad? You know, how was that and everything? And and, and he's, oh, you, you played all right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, dad, I, I scored a hat trick. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you did. Um, but I counted, you know, five or six shifts out there where you didn't give hundred percent. And, um, and he says, if, you know, basically if, if you want to determine success by, you know, being good at 80% of the time and sure you might score a hat trick through that process, the other 20%, you might be letting someone down. And, uh, I was so mad. Um, the next two hours in that drive, I was really, really mad, but I was mad because he was right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was 13, 14, maybe 15 years old at the time, but it was a great life lesson. I still remember that to this day is that, uh, um, you know, that one of those shifts that I took off could have impacted my teammate, um, or could have impacted my team. And so it was just lessons like that, that he was really good at just instilling in me about, you know, little details matter. Um, and an 100% effort across the board is uncommon. And that's, those are things that have just really stuck with me. Yeah, I love that because there's two things that I think, first off, we're all wired differently, but a lot, a lot of us enjoy, you know, kind of words of affirmation, things yeah. that you know, speak life into us. But at the same time, having people around us, like your dad, that tell us the truth, even when we don't want to hear it. But the fact that you knew he was actually right is a little different. That's where speaking the truth, but knowing that that person is telling you uh, what is actually truthful, it makes a, a big difference in how we respond to certain things. And I think it's important to have people around you to do that and to have a dad that do that is really important. Yeah, I mean, and, and I would challenge, and I challenge people all the time on that. If you don't have someone in your life that is just speaking truth, um, that gets a rise out of you to where your initial response is no, Usually if you're rising, your initial response is no and defensive. It's usually probably they're right. Yeah. And if you don't have that person, that is some, one of the most valuable people in someone's life. Um, and sometimes we have friends that are that, that we sometimes just get mad at them. But, you know, we all need to have at least one of those people that is going to tell us no matter what, what the truth is. Because more often than not, we go through and, you know, we're looking for people that are going to tell us, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you know. They're, they're going to sympathize with us even we're, and we're looking for that sympathy and yeah, we need that too. But um, too often people are just going to go back and say, Hey, you know, um, I, I'm with you. That person, 
shouldn't have done that or whatnot, or, or yeah, you did everything right in that situation. No, we need to seek out the people that are really going to tell us what's real. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable to do, but you have to yeah. challenge people like you, you talked about earlier. So love that. That's a great story. Well, let's talk about a little bit of your high school. You, you wound up playing sports and then I know you went on to play college sports, but how did that occur? And what were you, where would, where did you want to go? And, and how did you wind up where you went? Yeah. You know, I was, uh, um, I played soccer and hockey and golf in high school. Um, my best sport was probably hockey, but soccer, I started playing in ninth grade and just like really loved it. Um, had some friends on it, but then, you know, I had a little bit of talent and, um, you know, at the time there was a point where I just wanted, you know, I had that kind of D one or bust mentality and such. And, um, as I went through, you know, I'm the oldest of my family and my mom's an absolute saint, you know, she would, you know, start just writing, handwriting all these college coaches and stuff and just sending out all these letters and things like that on my behalf. And, um, I, what I started to realize is that, you know, again, I grew up in a bubble, um, you know, and we traveled and saw, you know, and did all these things, but, you know, I didn't realize out in the Midwest and, you know, out East, there are so many small schools, like where I grew up, it was just division, division one schools and, you know, maybe one or two small schools here and there. And I'm hearing back from all these different schools and, and all that. And I still had this mentality that I wanted to go, you know, kind of that D1 or bust. And um, it was getting into March of my senior year. And, um, you know, I had some, you know, walk on offers, things like that. Um, and I just, there's a school from called William Penn that just kept reaching out to me and reaching out to me. And I was just at a point in my life where I wanted to get away and go somewhere because I felt like this burning desire to learn more about myself because growing up I was just all about sports and mm -hmm. I kind of felt deep down that there there was something more in me than just sport because mm -hmm. you know I was the captains of my teams and all and that's great and all that but I just felt there was something more and I wanted to go someplace where um, it was going to completely up and everything about me and make me super uncomfortable and just like a new start and I'd never visited William Penn or anything like that this coach just kept calling me and then one day literally I remember I was walking in the Grand Teton Mall in Idaho Falls, Idaho, talking to this coach. And I'm like, you know what? This is where I need to be. And I just felt this calling. So I said, I went home to my parents said, this is where I want to go. Um, and, and I went. And, um, but I, I learned so much in high school and, and in youth sports just about, you know, team and, um, and, and camaraderie and effort and, and all. And, I, and But it kind of prepared me for that moment that I learned all these things, but I, I just felt like there was something missing. And I needed to go someplace that I didn't visit or anything. I needed to just take a leap of faith because I'd never really done that in life. It was very like, okay, here's the plan. I'm doing this. And I'm like, I just need to do something different. Mm -hmm. And it changed my life. I'm still here. Um, and, and came <laughs> it worked to college. Out, yeah. yeah. And came to college. And the one thing that I learned is that a small campus, um, if you want to get involved in leadership organizations and such, you can get be involved in leadership in day one, where to maybe a big school, you might take four years. And um, and so just coming out here just was a complete change um, in my life. Like I grew up in a bubble, right? Like everyone kind of looked the same, kind of the same religion, um, you know, and I came out to William Penn University and, you know, you have students from 45 different states and 30 different countries. And I'm like, this is a melting pot of the world. And I got to learn what the world actually was. Mm -hmm. um, and the world, the way it actually is, is not necessarily the world that I grew up in. And that was a really, really huge um, learning experience in a good way. Yeah. Well, you talked about kind of growing up in a little bit of a bubble and then you talk about making a transition to go to college 
at William Penn that was someplace you had, I guess, never visited. Right? Yeah, never visited. Never visited. Decided yeah. to go out there sight unseen. Yeah. But you, you had this natural feel that, hey, this is the right decision, the right place to go for me. Were you naturally good at taking risk and stepping outside your comfort zone? Or during all that situation, was it something that was extremely uncomfortable? And how did you push to go do that? That's a, that's a really good question because uh, I did not know that that was a strength of mine, kind of an intuition about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the choice to go out sight unseen to William Penn and keep it like our campus is completely transformed in the last 10 years. Like, I'm not sure I would have came um, if I had gone and visited just because it was just in this early stages of just a, a, a whole nother development. But I learned to trust my gut and trust my intuition on things. And, and that was um, something that I, I never really learned to do growing up. But that first step of understanding, and I would, I would say today, it's one of the things, you know, everyone has a genius in things. It's one of my geniuses. Like, it's like one of the few that I have. It's just like, okay, <laughs> I can figure out, like, just trust my gut and, and, and follow, you know, where I think something can go. And so I think I learned to trust to like, okay, figure out where you are at now and where you want to be. And you don't have to have a plan to map you out to get there because so many people want to put this exact plan together in life. And they want to go from point A to point B to point Z and all through it. And it's like plans are something we develop. You know, we, we, we don't need to let the plan own us. We own the plan. Um, and so we can, sh- we can jump and shift all, all the way along in the plan because we own it. Um, but part of that is that you can't have everything hundred percent done. Like if you're waiting for a plan to be hundred percent done, you're not going to move very fast. And so I kind of learned like, all right, let's get this thing 60, 70% figured out. And I'm going to figure out the rest of the way by using just kind of my, my gut feeling and my intuition about things. Yeah. I love that. That's such a powerful point. And that's a great gift to have, you know, let's, I want to dive into that real quick before we keep, keep going into your story, but how, how do people develop that? If you don't naturally have maybe that natural gifting of it, how do you develop discernment to make wise choices and to make good decisions and to evaluate things and essentially have due diligence per se, and, and making decisions and then trusting your gut off that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, um, one I haven't really thought of, but I, I guess my, my first reaction would be on it is that uh, with a lot of things in life, it takes practice and habits, right? And so um, in order to kind of build that sense of awareness within you, you have to allow yourself to be curious and let your curiosity lead to maybe taking a leap of faith at some point. And it could be something as very small. It could be something very huge. I think sometimes like, I think in life and it just, I mean, you look at everything um, in life, whether it's politics or whatnot, we, we just, everything, everything is living on the fringes. Right. And we got to really find what's that sweet spot. And so, you know, make use an opportunity to, you know, take a little bit of a leap of faith and something that might be somewhere in the sweet spot. Um, and not necessarily on the fringes, because that's usually when you get yourself into a little bit of uh, a tight spot. And, um, and then you just learn the habit of, okay, I recognize that it wasn't 100% figured out. I kind of had it 50, 60, 70% figured out, but I took a leap of faith to explore things further. Like we have to be explorers in life. Like, you know, we don't discover things without exploring. And if you have something completely figured out, like we need to explore. Um, and that's one of the things that I love most is just exploring. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know what the next 
three years are going to look like, but that mentality of exploring, like, let's figure it out. Like through COVID, it's like COVID was the craziest thing we've had to deal with in college athletics. But if you had an explorer's mindset, like you could get through it. And when others were just not working at all. And so it's just like, how can we like figure out what's next and what that looks like without actually knowing before we start working on it, you know, we don't have to have it all figured out. Yeah, I love it. That's like a genius statement right there. It's it's so simple, but there's so much complexity to it because uh, I feel like we all naturally have this desire for adventure, exploration. If you think about kids when they're growing up, all the stories of exploring and adventure yeah. and creating. And then as we get older, we kind of tend to, it seems like the majority of people tend to kind of, kind of isolate back into maybe a more comfortable environment. So we don't take the risk. We don't yeah. branch out as much as we would as, as, a, as a younger age, maybe because there's more to lose. I don't know. But at the same point, like what you just said, always being someone who is inside of exploration, adventure, trying new things, developing new habits. And as you do that, you sift through all these things and you learn about yourself, you learn about opportunities and you have better information to, to have due diligence and to have that gut feeling to move in directions that maybe you have natural gifts and abilities in. And so I yeah. love, I love what you just said on that. I mean, that's, that's definitely one I'm going to definitely write down. So no, I, and, and I appreciate you saying that. And it just like, you know, sometimes we forget that thinking like a rookie or even thinking like a child in a sense, there's value in that. Like I look at my son, he's two and a half years old and just what he goes through on a day and exploring. It's like, think about how much he's learning and such. It's like as adults and leaders, you know, sometimes we take ourselves too serious hmm. and, and we could maybe take ourselves a little bit less serious in a way to where we're opening up our minds on figuring out what do we, what do we not know? And to me, that's the most exciting thing about life and leadership is like, there's so much, I have no clue on it, but I want to figure it out. And I want our team to figure it out. And I want us to ask questions, not like, here's our answer, but like, all right, where could we be in the next five years? All right, well, let's figure it out and dream, you know, mm -hmm. and then let's explore. Yeah. I love that too. Figuring it out, just yeah. figuring things out and then moving in a direction towards that. So going back into your story, you decided to take a big step and explore an adventure into a new opportunity. You get to William Penn, talk about it's a melting pot of culture and people and uh, really exposes you to different things you maybe didn't grow up with. So what was that experience like coming in and playing sports, but also being involved in student leadership and uh, the academic realm? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I learned um, that being a person and a well-rounded person is much more than being an athlete. Um, and that was probably one of the best things I learned is that, um, and, and I think, so I got really involved in student government and um, that was a really big thing for me. And, you know, did the SGA present thing and all that, moved through all the offices and everything. And um, you see a lot of student athletes nowadays that struggle with the transition. Once they're done being a student athlete, they lose a little bit of a sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And so there's maybe a few year period, a few month period, or sometimes, you know, God forbid, longer than that, um, to where they just don't know who they are. Um, I think part of me that day when I was in the Grand Teton Mall that was calling me to go to William Penn University um, was that my identity at that point was all around athletics. And I was scared as heck that if I didn't get a college scholarship or go play somewhere that I was going to lose my identity. So I took the leap of faith to go to William Penn because this coach wanted me, but I, in the end, 
you know, my plan on taking that or, or what was steering me in that direction was not because of the opportunity, because there were several opportunities for that, but was that, um, you know, I came out here and I was put in the right place, um, you know, and, and I have faith in that, 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 you know, God put me in the right place um, to transform me as a person. Um, and I came out here and realized that um, I'm not Nick, the soccer player, like I could be Nick, the leader. Um, and there were things that, you know, I couldn't necessarily get involved in because maybe I wasn't the right religion or things like that in the, in the area that I grew up in that, you know, there's people that are from everywhere here and I can be me and, and I can get involved in stuff and develop a different identity. So when I kind of transitioned out of sport, um, you know, and, and graduated and such, I didn't feel like I was losing myself. And I tell our students all the time, get involved in one thing beyond your sport or one thing beyond what your your focus is because you are going to find a more developed a dynamic and deep person if you get out of what you identify with as who you are every single day and that was a really big thing for me is to get out of just being the identity of one thing yeah that that's great advice too because it's so easy to get caught up especially in athletics that is the livelihood of what you're in now it's important to be invested in what you're doing. Yes. But there's so much more outside of just one thing, whether it be business, athletics, uh, all these different variables that come into our life. It's it's good to have uh, well-roundedness and being exposed to different things. And I, I'm curious for you, when you were involved in SGA as a student leader, what were the things that you look back on that really helped develop you into a better leader, person, um, or whatever some of those things might be? Yeah. Uh when you're leading, you have to lead people from all walks of life. And as I was the student leader for the entire campus, I mean, I was representing everyone. Um, doesn't matter what their extracurricular activity was or what they're here as a student, what their major was, um, you know, what their political interest was or what their, you, know, you can go on and on. I mean, everyone has their own interest. Um, I learned that you can't lead every person the same way um, and you have to find out what is important to them and when you're leading a large group of people then it's again not living on the fringes and finding out okay what is going to bring people together for a common goal um, but I also learned that if you have one leadership style and the way you're leading people you're going to fail miserably um, you you know dynamic and transformation leaders must have um, an arsenal of tactics to be able to combat and grow people and invest in people. And um, I learned early on as a, you know, probably 20, I was probably 21, 22 at the time when I kind of elevated in that position. And, and, and my, my, the thing that changed my life on my college campus and my college experience wasn't being a student athlete. And I had a good career and all that. And it was great. But the thing that changed me was, was being a part of SGA. And, um, and so I learned that. I learned that everyone you have to have a dynamic arsenal of tactics to be able to lead people. Yeah. There's not a one size fits all in leadership, right? No. Yeah. So I love that because throughout your experiences, you have things that are shaping you. Uh, maybe whether you realize it or not, you can look back now with perspective. Yeah. Maybe in the moment, we don't realize these things are really shaping us for the betterment of our future. And so as you got to be involved in athletics uh, and then obviously in SGA, your career advances and you get out of college and what happens next for you? So it, it was the craziest thing. And, and I love what you just said there because you don't really necessarily realize some of these 
things that are happening and, and that your, you know, your mind is growing and all that. And, um, but I, this is the first time I think that I started to understand all these little things that had happened before were uniquely preparing me for something. Um, my predecessor, his name is Greg Hafner. He's the athletic director here. Um, he pulled me into his office. It, it was about this time of year um, and uh, in the same office here. And I was literally sitting right there. And he's like, you know, Nick, we have a, we have an issue with our women's golf team. And um, it was in shambles, just didn't have enough girls and all that. They'd restarted the program in, you know, 2009 or something like that. My sister was on the team. Huh. Um, and he's like, we just need some youthful. And that's a whole nother story. Coach yeah. <laughs> uh, he says, we just need some like youthful, like energy to try to turn this program around. And we were the third worst team in the country at that point. And I'm a student. And he's like, when you graduate, will you coach this team? And I had some experience. I worked at a golf course for six or seven years. I was going to go into the PGA business, which actually was my initial like goal. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. And I was so naive. Like it was the worst job in the world. Um, uh, but I was like, you know what? I can do this. And, um, but I realized that my experiences as a student leader on campus had led me to sitting down and I mean, the school was desperate. Okay. I mean it, you know, for, for someone who would take the job and it was part-time, um, you know, and, and so it wasn't paying great, but it was an opportunity. Mm. Um, and I saw something there and he saw something in me and I was like, okay, this person who, you know, has experience in the industry, sees something in me. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let them down. And so we turned that program around to a, you know, won six straight conference championships after, you know, seven years and um, just got amazing student athletes in the program. And they're still super connected today. Talk with them every, you know, every week and we have a group chat and, um, but there was an opportunity there. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, maybe I can do something different at a young age. Maybe I can be a little bit of a trailblazer in the industry a little bit. Yeah. I love that. And there's so many things rolling through my mind as you talk about that little experience first somebody saw something in you yeah. and they told you yeah. but that doesn't happen in, unless you take the things that your dad had taught you at a young age to always be doing your best to give 100 percent, and to not uh, let your teammates down throughout everything that you do it's not just athletics it was in your leadership in sga the experiences in college uh and all of those things are someone's always watching yeah. Someone is always watching you, whether you're doing anything or not. So there's a form of leadership right there. You're always leading because someone's always watching. But people are watching, taking notice of the things that you're doing every single day consistently. And so then that enables them to look at you and say, hey, what do you think about Nick? You know, he, uh, he may not have ever thought about being a women's golf coach, but <laughs> you think he might be a good one? Because I think he's got all the characteristics for that. And obviously that foreshadows into what you're doing today. And obviously taking a program that was one of the worst in the country yeah, winning good. six championships, you know, that's pretty incredible. And it's, it's kind of curtails into what you've done at William Penn. So um, anyway, I want to also touch on you had ideas of maybe wanting to be in the PGA. I know politics yeah. was another thing. Uh, yeah. Speak on a little bit of those because I know they were impactful in your life and their experiences that we don't want to overshadow. Yeah, um, I mean, I think part of the exploration and, you know, some people might know when they're um, 12, 15, 18 years old or whatnot, exactly what they want to do. Um, I wasn't one of those people. Um, I knew there were, I, I knew I wanted to make an impact on people. Um, when I first came out here, that, that's, I knew as a 
I knew my identity really was as a, as an athlete in high school and such, but I liked, I liked making people smile. I liked making people, you know, uh, making them better. I would have teammates come to me and talk to me about, you know, this and that or whatnot. So I, I knew I liked helping people. So initially I went into education. My first major, I was going to go, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, because that, that was my experience, my most recent experience in high school. I had a few teachers that were great to me and other thing, I knew how they made me feel. Hmm. Um, they made me feel empowered and I'm like, okay, well, that's a way to do it. Um, and then, you know, out in Iowa, politics is huge, obviously. And so I was like, all right, well, I can impact people through politics. So then I was a poli sci major. Um, and then I'm like, okay. Then I realized that politics is really kind of a brutal world. And, uh, you know, you go to Washington, it doesn't necessarily, I, I had an internship and things like that. And, and, a, uh, and then I worked on a presidential campaign and I realized, yeah, well, politics doesn't really, um, you can't really change the world and that really changes you. I saw a lot of people that I knew and I was like, wow, I'm not sure I really like who you're becoming. And, and so then I kind of moved into communications and um, because I, you know, how, how could I communicate and, and help people? And, um, and I was working at a golf course in the summer, all throughout high school and college. And I had an amazing uh, mentor named Galen Denning, who was the PGA professional at the, at the golf course I worked at. And I was like, I saw him impacting the sport of golf and giving people lessons and all that. I'm like, gosh, he's making a difference in people. So I'm like, I think I want to do that. Um, and this whole thing, it wasn't just like, none of that all really clicked, obviously, because I was changing through, but I was pretty pretty much going into the PGA world. And then Greg Hafner offered me the women's golf job. I'm like, oh, I can coach. I don't have to work in the golf shop and I can coach and, and literally hundred percent of the time impact people. Well, and I worked at Musco Lighting at the time too, during international PR, because I needed to still make a living. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but it was all this exploration of, I want to impact people, but I just didn't know how to do it. And I didn't, I was just learning like, well, what does that mean? And so that's, I changed my mind a lot uh, yeah. through the process and in my path. And again, the plan didn't own me. Like I own the plan. So I changed the plan. Yeah. Well, at the same time too, though, at the common denominator of all those things is making a difference in people's lives. Yeah. So you did change your mind, but at the core, some, a lot of those things had to do with one thing, which is making a difference. Yeah. And another thing that I think is really challenging for a lot of people especially as they get into a profession, maybe that they thought they wanted to get into, maybe it's politics, maybe it's athletics or certain type of business or um, church or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's tough for people to step away, even when they know that they need to step away. Yeah. They feel stuck. They get stuck in something. And so having the ability to say, you know what, this is not, I'm not liking what I'm seeing here. I don't like where this is going and I don't, I don't want to go down that, that road. So I'm going to jump out. I'm going to, I'm going to step into something else. But realizing and understanding too that at the core of everything, what is that thing that you really enjoy doing most within uh, business and work and whatever that might be and making a difference in people, that's yeah. always kind of been a theme. So I love that uh, whenever you got to be able to have an opportunity to go be a coach, um, you stepped and jumped into it because it, it just kind of, it, it kind of kept refining into an opportunity and you just take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you and then you make the most of them and then you just see where it leads and it continues to grow and develop into um, great opportunities. So I yeah, and Bailey, and on that front there, like it's too often, I think people want to be a hundred percent prepared for an opportunity. They'll say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You're never ready completely, especially if you're taking a step up in something, you're never ready. Um, sometimes you just have to get ready and go. And like, 
I I think you need a formal education. Formal education is very important. Um, but you know, you might take a 20 or 30% of what you learned in the classroom and actually put it into real life where you really become great in your working world. You have to have that 20, 30%, that base knowledge, that education, but it's literally experience and just mm-hmm. getting in there and doing it. And yeah. that's what, what, what makes, and so too often people just don't say, I'm going to do this because, well, I'm not ready. Well, when are you going to be ready? Yeah. I love that. That's such a great point because it's so, so important because it's so challenging for us, whether it's fear, doubt, whatever the things that hold us back, we don't feel ready for the opportunity. Yeah. But in reality, typically we are never ready and you have to jump into things. But also too, I love the fact as well that you got into coaching, you're able to make an impact full time, but at the same time, it wasn't necessarily going to provide you the income you needed. So you got another job to make it work and figure it out. Like, I I love that. I think that's a great story too, because we often always want to have everything ready. Well, the pay is not enough. I can't take that job. Right. But you figured out a way to make it work. And obviously uh, the rest is history. So um, anyway, talk about that. You go from being a coach, you're working and all of a sudden, when did it kind of come to fruition to get into the athletic department like administration things like that for what you're doing today yeah it's so funny we had our coaches show last night and um i was literally talking to this to the founder and ceo of musco sports lighting he's he's a big supporter of ours and we're having dinner and he actually reminded me of this um and it's so so it was so joe crookham is is the guy's name and he he's incredible i was actually working for him and i was doing international pr it was a new position at musco um, and yeah, I got to go to the London Olympics, the you know, Little League World Series every year. It was, it was an awesome, awesome job. And communications is my major. And so I had a little bit of an interest in that. So he sat me down one day and we're in his office and he says, you know, Nick, what do you want to do in your life? And I'm like, gosh, you know, um, I said, I really love college athletics and I really love athletics in general. I love what I'm doing at Musk and all these different things, but I really love college athletics. Um, and he said, um, I'll never forget it. He goes, well, in order to figure out what you want to do, you have to figure out where you're at now, where you want to be and how you're going to get there. And he says, if you really want that, he goes, I'm going to support you and do whatever I can to help you, but I, I'm going to give you guidance. And so basically what it came down to was just like, all right, I, I did a few weeks of like, what do I really want to do? And in my heart, deep down, I knew I wanted to be an athletic director, but I was like 24, 25 years old. And he asked the question. And so I, I'm going out and I created a spreadsheet of what athletic directors um, across the country. And there was, you know, 150 plus something names I got on the spreadsheet. And I put their education down on the spreadsheet. I put how many years they've been in business. I put, you know, what their professional experience was. I'm looking at it. And so I'm looking at the spreadsheet. I'm like, holy cow, it's, it's kind of all over the place. But what I found was, is that there was a niche that maybe I could feel in it. And I, I was feeling, again, an intuition that the college athletic space was going to start trending a little younger because as I'm looking at on a spreadsheet of all different levels and all that, it was a lot of the same people, lot, not same type of mentality. And they had, you know, either had a, a, a doctorate in, uh, in, in, you know, master education or something like that, or they had a, um, a law degree or something. And I'm like, well, there's a space for someone who kind of has a marketing communications background, a mindset of like connecting with people. Yeah. And so I saw a lot of people that are good at connecting, but they didn't necessarily have a background in connecting. And so I was like, all right, I think I want to be an AD. So I went back to him and was like, I think I want to be an AD. And then I realized growing up, like, yeah, I've always liked kind of managing the department thing, like playing Madden growing up. 
I wasn't playing the game. I was simulating seasons and going to the draft and doing player personnel picks and hiring coaches and all that and dynasty mode. I didn't really play the game. I'm not a gamer. I literally just would play till 2050 and then restart. And I realized that's what I, that's what I want to do, like a GM type thing. And so I realized what I didn't have and created a plan to get, to make myself very, um, somewhat more, uh, somewhat more attractive, maybe at 27, 28, 29 years old. And there, I needed a lot of things that I didn't have and I was never gonna have the experience. So I had to make up for it and everything else. So it was a few master's degrees. It was serving on the school board in Oskaloosa. Um, it was moving over from Moscow over to the university uh, full-time and fundraising. So I was in the development office running the booster club and all that. I needed a wealth of different experiences that would uniquely prepare me for if this job opened up or another job opened up and I realized long-term, I probably never want, I was only going to be the golf coach at William Penn university. Like that's it. Um, it, but I wanted to be, I wanted to take this approach and put it throughout an entire department and impact every sport, not just my own sport. And so it was prompted with that question and he helped me along the way and made sure that, you know, I was connecting with people and such, but, um, it was just figuring out where I needed to go. Yeah. Oh man. There's let's rewind that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, one thing is, is the, the guy who owns the company sat you down, saw something in you again. There's another common pattern. People see things in you because you do a good job. And so they believe in you and they want to help you. And they see that and they're asking the questions, what do you want? How can I help you? And I think that's important for us as well. When we see people that have innate abilities and gifts, let's, let's t- tell them, you know, and encourage them to go do those things. And then at the same time too, develop a, a plan. It's not always going to have to be exactly how it is, but there's a huge level of intentionality behind what you did, you figured out what you wanted to do and you figured out a way to go make it happen. And you have a spreadsheet and you looked up those things, you looked at the patterns and then um, you saw the trends and where they're going, but you figured out a way to get to where you wanted to go. And let's talk about how has it been, you know, how long have you been AD and what has it been like to be the AD as you got into the position you're in? Because sometimes you can get in something and not realize, oh, I didn't realize this was gonna be what this entailed or this is exactly what it entailed. I'm loving it. Yeah, um, I've been the athletic director here. This is my fifth year. um, And uh, I was hired at 29. um, And it was, I would tell people to take a little bit of a step back. And I I would say, I would tell people that people want to help you. And so as I was working in advancement, I spent a lot of time with our AD here, Greg Hafner at the time and asking him questions and asking, can I get involved in this? Um, do you need help on game day management? And um, hey, can, you know, can I have an idea that we should have a Nike contract? You know, would you mind if I reached out to them? And um, so there's a lot of things that, you know, people want help and people want to help. And what I learned is that going through that process, like of asking the questions, and sitting down and letting someone also take interest in me and not being afraid of, oh, that person's so busy. I tell people all the time, like, if you have want to be great, I am here to help you and you're not bothering me. <laughs> you know, I think busy people sometimes uh, get the, um, and, and sometimes it's fair, is they're so busy, they don't want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we want to help. We just want our time um, to be worthwhile and that you're going to take it serious. And um and so I learned that. And so to get to the point that you asked, like, it wasn't that big of a, I mean, there's things that you learn and like, oh my gosh, like, 
there's things you open up and you, you get open up everything and you're surprised by things. There's no doubt, sure. you know, um, but I, I was preparing for that opportunity five or seven years um, from the very start of the spreadsheet, figuring everything out, um, investing and talking to people and such that I wasn't totally surprised to where I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I asked a lot for a lot of help along the way. So I had different perspectives in my mindset. Yeah, no, that's great. And you're asking the questions and sometimes, yeah, it's so true. People that are so busy or you feel like they have a big following or they're in a position of leadership and power where you don't feel like they're approachable. But most of the time, most often than not, if you ask the questions, if you approach them and you actually are someone who listens, ask good questions, not just waste people's time and also takes what you learn and apply it. Like people don't want to, you know, you don't want to sit down with someone who wants to get in something, but whenever you're done, they come back and they haven't done anything you said, right? You need to have the initiative to take, take action on the things that you talk about, just like you did at a young age to get to become an AD. And so I love, I love that. Yeah. And one thing you said real quick, I don't want to forget that is that leaders, there are a lot of leaders. There's good leaders. There's not so good leaders. There's people in the middle. Leaders as a whole, just by and large, need to do a better job of creating a presentable approach though too. Like we need to make sure that we're connecting with people in a certain way. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to be able to make sure that there's an op- the door is cracked for those people to come in or it's wide open. Um, too often, we create that dynamic as leaders from time to time. And that's something that we got to be super intentional about to make sure that people do feel the space that they can come in and maybe have that first conversation. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And so William Penn, you know, it's an athletic powerhouse. Yeah, I know you, you won't take a lot of credit for that, but absolutely, because you're a humble guy. But what have you learned in your time as an AD now about leading people from that perspective and managing people and expectations? Yeah, yeah I think it, it comes down to three things. Um, uh, number one, um, if, if you can present, it changes hard. And, and when we came in here and, and as we tried to, our, our mantra is that we wanna create an athletic department equipped for the future. Um, we wanna do that by doing uncommon things things. And so that, that means change. I don't use the word change. I use the word enhancing. Mm. Um, and, and so we come in and, and we're trying to enhance things a little bit. Um, one of the things I've learned is that sometimes people, I think people in the industry sometimes say, well, the people that have been around the longest, um, it, it might be the coach that's been here 30, 40 years or whatnot. Well, those people will never get on board. And I completely disagree. Um, if, if those people are, are your, can be your culture warriors. Um, but people that have a sense of experience that have been around a long time, I mean, they they have earned the right to be a part of those conversations more often. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the things I learned early on that I probably didn't do as well at the first year or two is making sure that you know those that have deep ties are a part of that conversation more and getting their buy-in. And so I think that's the first thing I learned. I think the second thing I learned is that um, um, if you have a vision for something and, and you're clearly stating and marketing in a sense, I mean, marketing is internal and ex- external. Yeah. Um, and if you can get people behind an idea um, and market that internally, I mean, people will move mountains. And uh, we've been really fortunate um, that we, you know, we've changed our mentality here. Um, and I ha- and I'll share with what a coach had said that had been around a long time. And some of the feedback that we, we gather, assess feedback all the time. He said, you know, 
Um, I always felt that our goals here were just to be good enough. And now we want to be great. If you can get people to want to, or to understand that it's not just about being good enough, it's about being great. They will mm -hmm. move mountains. Right. And sometimes you have to make some changes to get the right people in place um, and get the right people on the bus. But I learned that uh, you could, we could do that. You know, we've gone from in our, the Learfield sport directors cup being somewhere in the 75, 80 top athletic department in the country. And, you know, we're 26 right now. And so like that would have been a pipe dream from years ago. Our goal is we want to be in the top 10. We feel like we can do it um, because every day we're trying to do uncommon things and create an athletic department of the future. And that mentality also got us through COVID. So, you know, I think that it's, it's creating a growth mindset and you can create a growth mindset in that department, in any department, any team. But the third thing I've learned, I touched on a little bit before is that you have to intentionally get to know your people because every single one of them are different. Mm -hmm. And the approach to take with them and different. We have 27 programs here, 27 different ways um, that I'm trying to work with those teams. And our, our team is working with those teams and those coaching staffs to, to elevate and enhance the way they operate to deliver an uncommon student experience. It's not, the basketball, we're not dealing with the basketball team the same way we're dealing with the volleyball team. It's completely different. Um, and I think we get so busy that we're not being intentional about figuring out, okay, how do we have to get this program to this point? Um, and that's hard. It takes time, um, but it can be done. Yeah, no, I, and I love what you just said because that is so important. There's a book that I just finished up on, on, with a group and on a study and it's called Lead, Develop, Care. It's a leadership model. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great approach because you lead, you gotta have vision. The one thing that I don't always think about on the leadership component is development, that you got to develop your people. You got to set a plan in place for the help, help them grow to help them become better leaders. And then the last point you talked about intentionality is caring. You got to care for your people or else they, you, they, you won't be able to fully get them to push into the, the vision, the direction you want to go, because uh, it's like that quote, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And that really is so true. It's just, being curious, like you talked about earlier, asking questions, getting to know people for who they are, not what they do. And I, I think that's a really important point. So you can obviously see that in your career as, as a leader. But one of the things I want to talk about, because you talked about COVID, but also before we get into COVID, I want to talk about conflict and confrontation, like handling mm -hmm. those, especially as an AD, because, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about 26 different, different uh, leaders managing different organizations. That's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different ways of doing things. Was that something, are you naturally good at managing conflict and confrontation or was it something you had to be better about it? Um, when I was working at Moscow, I went through a training called Crucial Conversations. And if anyone is ever looking for a way to handle crucial conversations, it was a two-day training, changed, changed my perspective on all that. And it's just um, the, the ability to have crucial conversations is, is can tough. be life. It's tough and it's life changing if you can do it right. I believe, and I firmly believe this. Every conflict is a massive opportunity to make sure the right people get in the room and to talk things out, and for people to walk out of that room more connected, united, maybe not agreeing on everything, but respecting one another and everyone more often than not, some of the crucial conversations I've been a part of have led to more deep and dynamic relationships once that 45 minutes or whatever is done than what it was going in. And so I, I actually 
um, get excited about conflict in a sense. Yeah. Um, because it's a, it's an opportunity. And, and one of the things we talked about a little bit before, um, is the care component, the intentional, you just talked about that getting to know people and all that and everything is not necessarily, uh, it's not just like, Oh my gosh, like, Hey, how are you? You know, it's, it, I'm not in this business to be friends with everyone. Right. Yeah. We can all be friends and be friendly and all that, but my job is to lead. Mm-hmm. And, and some of my friendships prior have changed because my role has changed and such, but some of the most intentional and caring conversations are the crucial, tough conversations the hard, really deep, like things aren't going right. Let's get this right. Let's talk it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your perspective on it? Here's our perspective. Like how can, can we understand each other? So yes, getting to know when it, but those, those most valuable moments in the care aspect of things are being real with people. Yeah, that's, that's a masterclass right there. Having those crucial conversations is so important in leadership yeah. and touching on leadership. You talked about having to lead through COVID, which is something unprecedented. No one ever really saw it coming and and knew how to handle it. So how did you navigate that and lead throughout COVID? Yeah. uh, So I was a little bit careful on talking about this during the pandemic because everyone had their opinion on things, but I'll I'll talk about it 100% now. Okay. Let's just say March 17th. Let's just say that was the date where we just basically knew everything was done. March. And, uh, on March 18th, we got our team together and said, we have no idea what's going on here. This is a whole nother world. But on March 18th, that's when we started planning for August 1st. And we didn't stop. We didn't stop recruiting. We didn't stop um, building. We didn't stop creating that, figuring out what uncommon was going to be in the fall. Um, we didn't stop. Um, and I think a lot of people stopped. And, and I'll say this there was no wrong answer in that situation. No one knew. So this is not a criticism or anything like that. And as we're going through it, we're like, are we doing the right thing? But we did not stop. And we continue to build. And we looked at that opportunity that everyone else is wondering, what are we going to do? And and there's going to be some people sitting on their hands. We're not sitting, we're going. And so we kept going all through the summer. Everything we did that entire summer, we didn't take any time off. Everything we did that entire summer was how do we get back and create an experience for our student athletes and for our students in general, our university did this as a whole. How do we continue with in-person learning? How do we continue to have fall sports? How do we continue to have winter sports? How do we continue to have fans here? How do we continue to do all these things and have reasonable mitigation strategies that are going to keep people safe and healthy, um, but it also help us create an experience because our student athletes and people across the world are never going to get that year back, never going to get that year and a half back. And so we wanted to figure out how can they have an experience still and be safe. And so we didn't stop. And, and, and we took some criticism over that. Um, but our students and their families were hundred percent on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to deliver a fairly somewhat normal experience during that time. Um, we still had people in the stands. Um, you know, we still had games. We had the fewer cancellations than anyone in our conference. Um, you know, because we were asking the questions on March 18th, we were able to get rapid testing because we found that we had a connection of a board member who had a connection at Abbott. And because we were asking those questions in March and April and not June, July, and August, we were able to se- secure some rapid testing, the same type of stuff that the White House had because we were asking those questions. Yeah. Um, and, and we're proud of that. 
Yeah. And I love that because you're asking the right questions, yeah. you're preparing, and then it even we can even go back into your childhood too. Uh, you, you're, there's a challenge, right? You're, yeah. cha- you're being challenged, but you're trusting, you're trying to decipher and discern what's right. You're asking the right questions and you're, you're trusting your intuition. You're, you don't have 100% figured out. No one had 100% figured out yeah. during COVID. But you didn't sit on your hands. You took action. You you prepared. You took initiative. And you made the best of something that many people viewed as the worst, right? You make the best with what you have, the opportunity that's in front of you. So I love that. That's a great, great. Yeah, and you're connecting it right there. I never had actually made the connection to the past. But yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So real quickly, because I want to honor your time as we kind of wind down. I know, uh, you know, you talked about your son, uh, how important or what is most important to you? And then, and what does it mean to be a good husband and father? Yeah. I mean, just you asking that question gives me, gives me goosebumps a little bit because, um, you know, I, the kid's two and a half, I love him to death. Uh, um, I think being a, a, a good husband is, is making sure like I work in a crazy world. Um, and my wife understands that and she's incredible about it. Um, but, but being good is being a leader at home too. I think sometimes leaders, um, are, I think sometimes leaders, they, they lead it in their place of leadership. And then when they go home, they're not necessarily the greatest leaders and they let their guard down a little bit. Um, and don't get me wrong when I say guard down, like, like I'm, I'm much, you know, I'm much more chill and things maybe at home and such, but, um, leading is leading, right? Like mm-hmm. it's making good decisions. It's, it's asking the right questions. It's being there for people. Um, it's serving others. And I want to serve my, my family. I want to be there for my family. I want to lead, help lead my family. My wife's a leader too. Like she's, she, she, she has that type of as well. But, um, and then for my son, you know, I always think, and this is somewhat, you know, morbid in a sense, and I, but like, if I wasn't here, what would I want my son and people to tell my son? Mm. And what messages would I want my son uh, to hear from others that I gave them? Um, and I remember, you know, watching a documentary one time about, you know, a father that was, um, that had terminal cancer and his son was like six months old and he was recording videos every night of messages for his son. Mm. And I think all the time of like, what would, the people that I've impacted in my life, whether it's my players or people, what messages are they going to tell my son about me? Um, and I want, because those are the messages that have um, impacted them. And the same, why I'm with him and I hope I, I live a very long life and I get an impact. I need to make sure I remember those messages that I'm giving others and I'm giving to him to, to make him the best he can be. So it's that constant thing, like, what have I shared with this person that made no difference? And sometimes I ask them, I'll send a message, hey, hey, what was one thing that, you know, I taught you, um, you know, because I want to remember. And so it's just serving and, um, and helping transform people. And I want to do that to my family, too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, kind of as we wind down, we have a little fire round. So yeah. um, I'll say a, a sentence and you can finish in a word or sentence, wherever you feel. Yeah. You can do anything if. Uh, you can do anything if, I mean, you're willing to go the extra mile and put in extra work and sometimes do it without asking if you're going to be compensated. Hmm. Empathy is. I think empathy is really searching to understand. And then I think we need to do a better job of giving, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Hmm. 
That's great. Favorite vacation spot? Bandon Dunes. Um, golf course out in Oregon. Beautiful resort. Um, and then really, I like road tripping with my wife and son. So anywhere that we would go road tripping. But um, but if there's one place in the world, you say, hey, I'm banned in dunes. But also love London. My wife and I uh, have been to London and London's a beautiful place. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Initiative means? Initiative means uh, taking things a step above what is expected. Um, and I think I, I tell our team this all the time. If we did one thing above and beyond what is expected in every single project or task think of what we could accomplish in 365 days that's great i love that uh favorite professional experience this is always a tough question but if there's is one that kind of stands out yeah um there was there were several and we'll talk about um COVID a little bit uh we talked about COVID a little bit ago but my favorite professional experience was those first games coming back for those spring sports after their after their um seasons were cut short and the mm. tears and gratitude um, that those student athletes felt that they were able to continue things. Yeah, no, that's great. It all comes down to. Um, I think it all comes down to your purpose and your self-leadership. Self-leadership is about understanding who you are as a leader, and you're not going to be able to be an effective leader if you don't do a, a real deep dive into who you are as a leader. And um, so I think it really comes all down to figuring out what your purpose is and being the great, a great self-leader um, so you can lead others at a high level. Yeah, that's great. We're done with the fire round. The final two questions I have for you, excuse me. The final mm -hmm. two questions I have for you is what is, is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? Yes. Uh, I use this all the time. I always think like an outsider. Um, uh, we, and if you can be an insider and think like an outsider, you have a huge advantage. Um, hmm. but it's kind of goes back to that rookie mindset. Um, when you're a rookie, you're curious. Um, if you're an outsider, you're curious. And that curiosity, and go back to the word explore, if you can think like an outsider, I mean, I've been here, I've been at William Penn since 2010. So you could call me an insider, but if we just do inside things, everything within our campus, that's all we're gonna do. Like we gotta find outside ideas and bring them back and adapt them here. So always think like an outsider. That's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever got. I got it from Matt Ellenberger, who uh, was, uh, was my manager at Musco Lighting. Always think like an outsider. Yeah. Always think like an outsider and always be an explorer. Yeah. hundred so, percent. Yep. Yeah. This podcast is called building excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Excellence comes through service, Bailey. Um, it does. Um, it's connecting people, connecting with people connecting people, um, connecting in surprising ways. And I think excellence comes from a leadership standpoint when it comes to that service is helping people find the genius within them and, and helping them navigate to a place that they never even thought was possible. And if we can do that as leaders, we're gonna change a lot of lives. Yeah, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. You have made all of us better. You definitely made me better by this conversation and just learning from your experiences. And there's a reason why you've had so much success at such a young age, being an athletic director, that, that definitely is uncommon. But you talked about all the uncommon things you were trying to do at uh, William Penn. So thank you so much for being on the show. If someone was to kind of follow William Penn, follow you, uh, what social or anything like that, uh, they can follow you on? Yeah, um, you know, for, for ours, William Penn, WPU Athletics, as far as me, I, I'm, I'm really big on Twitter. I love Twitter. So at N-I-K-R-U-L-E. Um, I connect with a lot of people on Twitter through direct message or anything like that. And so 
Um, yeah, Twitter would be the place to connect with me. I'd, I'd love to connect with people in that space. So at N-I-K-R-U-L-E. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, ba Bailey, I really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.